Welcome to our podcast on data and cyber breaches, what we see as the new go-to mass claims for claimant lawyers. My name's Jeff Nicholas, and I'd like to introduce my fellow speakers, Rodri Thomas from the UK, Jonathan Wong from Hong Kong, Mark Egler from the Netherlands, and Peter Jaffe from the US. In the first session, we're going to focus on the question of liability and assess whether or not liability for a data breach is likely to be a significant hurdle for claimants in a class action. Then in our second session, we will focus on the question of damages, what loss may be recoverable, and how that impacts the ability of claimants to bring claims by way of class or collective actions. But first of all, let me just quickly say why we see this as the new go-to mass claims for claimant lawyers. Every company obviously deals with data, whether they're industrial tech or healthcare. And that increasing use of data by organizations is often in various novel ways, whether it's AI, personalization, or the like. So data is obviously global, and where we have a data breach incident, it therefore has a global reach. And those instances are becoming more prevalent, especially as we see people now working from home and the additional issues that arise as a consequence of that. And of course, the affected data subjects can be many. Against that, we're also seeing a global trend towards increased regulation of the use of personal data. That was led by the EU's GDPR, but is also we're seeing the same in the US and in parts of the Americas. And many of those regulators with those new powers are increasingly active. And this is in an area where the law is unsettled. So we have in some ways the perfect storm. We have a number of incidents happening. We have many people often affected. We have regulators with new regulatory powers actively seeking to pursue those powers. And we have a law which is unsettled and therefore issues which are pending before courts, which are still to be resolved. So we're going to try and bring some light on that in this first session today. So I'm going to start really with the question of how significant a hurdle is liability in a class action, particularly where regulatory actions may well have looked at this issue in the first instance. Peter, maybe I should come to you first in the US as you've probably got a more developed class action structure in this area. What, how do you see this issue, this difficulty of, of trying to establish liability? Sure. For defendants, there's a challenging res ipsa loquitur perception. Uh, this idea that whenever there's been a data breach, it indicates that there was some kind of failure of technical or organizational measures. I don't think that that's the law. I think it's wildly off base as a practical matter, but this is nonetheless a perception that, that we see, and it's a common refrain that we see in, from plaintiff's lawyers when they file class action complaints. And I, I think that it's complicated by, by two other things. One is that you know, in, in the United States, very few class actions make it to trial. Um, so far as I know, none in the data breach space have made it to trial. They're rarely even resolved on summary judgment. Instead, uh, if anything, a court is only going to consider them at the motion to dismiss stage, which is very early on in U.S. litigation. And at that early stage, a court is not usually going to be inclined to look deeply into the facts um, and try to decide whether a particular security failing was in fact a failing and whether it contributed to the, the breach. Um, they're usually going to be willing to go along with, with allegations so long as there's, there's some meat to the allegations. 
Um, and I think the second thing that complicates this in the United States is that uh, many regulators are, are also adopting this res ipsa loquitur perception. Um, and there is a recent action that's, that's currently pending uh, by the New York State Department of Financial Services relating to, to an insurer. Uh, and, and my perception of the complaint is that it's purely res ipsa loquitur. It's if there was a breach, then there must have been inadequate technical and organizational measures. Um, now, that doesn't necessarily uh, bear on the class actions regime, but I do think that it, it provides fodder for class action plaintiffs to file their complaints. Mark, are we seeing a similar tendency in Europe? In Europe, are, are the courts willing to address this issue of whether there has been a breach afresh? Well, unfortunately, I think we're seeing a kind of similar tendency uh, as in the US. So the, the answer is unfortunately, yes. So if there has been a data breach, such as a hack, there will be a perception, what, what Peter also mentioned, where there's smoke, there's, there's fire. And I think here it's for the defendant's attorneys to push back hard on this perception. So for example, if a company is the victim of an elaborate social engineering hack, which is not uncommon, I think it's incorrect to assume that there has been a breach of the obligations under the GDPR. And this obligation obviously being to take appropriate technical and organizational measures to keep personal data secure. Now, this of course doesn't exempt you from taking any necessary steps to contain the breach and to notify the breach to the regulator and the data subjects afterwards. But I do also think that taking robust and adequate measures after a breach may help you to fight off this where there's smoke, there's fire perception. I should add that ultimately the assessment will probably be case specific and fact dependent. But nonetheless, I'd argue that while fighting liability may be a bit of an uphill battle, it's not completely a done deal. Rodri, I know that we're starting to see a number of claims in this area being brought in, in the UK and being brought through collective action routes. How do you view this issue in the UK? The perception that where there is smoke, there is fire is something that exists in the UK as well, at least among the increasing number of claimant law firms who specialise in this area. And as well as that, if a regulator has made an adverse finding that you haven't taken appropriate technical and organisational measures, then again, some claimants will take the view that they are starting the litigation 1-0 up as far as liability is concerned. But that isn't necessarily the case. Findings made by data protection authorities are not binding on courts in follow-on litigation. And even if an adverse regulatory finding on liability is sound, it doesn't automatically mean that you have liability to third parties. So, for example, a regulator doesn't need to prove that the breach itself caused an actionable harm in the same way their claimant does. And so by no means is a regulatory decision a slam dunk for claimants. However, it's still very important to approach enforcement action with one eye on the potential litigation risk. Jonathan, I know some of the regulators in the Asia-Pacific region have actually been quite active in terms of conducting investigations. Do you see this same class action risk in Asia or is it more a regulatory risk that you're looking at in Asia from a data breach perspective? Jeff, I think that um, we are definitely seeing regulatory risk in Asia, but I think that that potentially also could translate into class action risk going forward. Uh, and let me give a recent example and maybe a few reasons for why I say that. Um, so the, the Cambridge Analytica case, which of course is, is quite prominent worldwide, um, has been brought in Australia as well, but that's been brought by the Australian Information Commission uh, in the federal court. 
And that could, I think, lead to the first real headline damages action in a privacy breach class action in APAC. You know, that's been brought by the Australian regulators, notwithstanding we do have an active plaintiff bar and relatively widespread use of litigation funding in Australia. So I think that's somewhat indicative of how the rest of Asia is going to develop, because outside of Australia, class actions are actually not very commonplace. There's no class action regime in major jurisdictions like in Hong Kong and Singapore. We certainly don't have an active plaintiff bar in Hong Kong. And then there's a cultural point, I think, as well, because litigation is not in many North Asian jurisdictions in particular, a popular dispute resolution mechanism. And, and I think you, if you add that to the sort of low damages that you see um, in, again, the North Asian jurisdictions and uh, the, the Benes hack in Japan um, is a good example of that. So 2000 yen per person, just just under 20 US dollars per person for a significant data breach. I think you, you end up with a sort of perfect storm in the other direction of factors which point at class actions not yet being ready to take off, but certainly regulators potentially being interested and potentially being at the forefront of class actions that might be brought. Now, just on to regulators then, I think we do in Asia have a culture of regulator activism and we've got more regulated markets in Asia. And in Hong Kong and Singapore, for example, we're seeing current proposals which are being going through the legislative process to strengthen regulatory powers. And importantly, there are already provisions in the statutes which allow for civil remediation for breaches of the law. So uh, what, what's really missing, I think, is in jurisdictions like Hong Kong and Singapore is that class action regime. And, you know, in Hong Kong, we've been waiting for that for 10 years. No bets, uh, I think, as to when that is going to come in. But if and when it does, then you're looking at potentially a similar pattern to what um, we've seen in the UK, for example. One last point to close, I think, is that we've just seen uh, in the last few weeks Um, important news in China around a new Chinese personal data protection law. So that's just been open for consultation and the consultation will run until the middle of of November, sorry, this year. Um, Essentially, it's sort of a a GDPR light is how it's been described by some um, commentators. You're looking at far more significant liability than under the existing cybersecurity law, potentially revenue-based fines. And we've also, in recent weeks, had a very large, a large for Asia, fine against Chinese SOE banks for of about five and a half million US dollars. So I think what, what all that indicates to me is that we are looking at potentially a more regulator-led environment in Asia, although that um, class actions, as I said, are certainly potentially on the horizon. Given the importance of Uh, regulators' views as to whether or not there has been a breach of the relevant standard that applies in any particular jurisdiction. Rodri, do you think it's likely that class action lawyers, claimant lawyers, will wait for the outcome of a regulatory investigation before commencing litigation? Uh, No, not always, Jeff. There might, might be good reasons to do so, but regulators won't always have the same objectives or in some cases resources as claimant law firms and litigation funders who are, who are often the people who are driving the class actions. And so it doesn't always follow that if there's no enforcement action, there'll be no litigation or the litigators need to wait for a regulatory enforcement action before commencing proceedings. And I think one example of that is the class action that has been brought against EasyJet in the UK for a data breach. There hasn't at least yet been any regulatory finding that EasyJet has breached the GDPR. 
So it's it's really a one-way street. Adverse regulatory decisions are usually going to be unhelpful when liability is looked at in a subsequent court case. But the absence of an adverse regulatory decision doesn't really provide any comfort that litigation can't or won't be brought. Peter, given the US is the home of class actions or collective actions, as we might call them, um, is it the case in the US that, that class actions wait for the outcome of regulatory proceedings? Are we seeing that trend there or are, we, are you on a different path really in the US? No, people are definitely not waiting uh, for a regulatory action before they file a class action. In fact, I've, I've recently seen some class actions following data breaches by only a couple of weeks. And because of the structure of the U.S. civil litigation system, plaintiffs can always wait and amend their complaints a year or two years down the road if there is an adverse regulatory finding. And so from the perspective of a plaintiff's lawyer, there's no reason to wait for an adverse regulatory finding before filing a lawsuit. Okay, well, that's been very helpful. Uh, Obviously, we, through that discussion, we recognize the importance of the regulatory investigation in relation to questions of liability, uh, although those decisions by regulators aren't themselves necessarily determinative of that issue and indeed can be challenged in the courts. And in the US, I think we have a system where clearly the class actions tend to be brought before regulatory investigations are completed. What we're going to discuss in our next podcast is the issue of damages, which is a critical issue in this area uh, and one that is raising quite novel issues in various jurisdictions. So we hope you'll join us for that. Thank you.